Hi, this is Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 80 of That's a Good Question. What is Evangelicalism? Part 2. Pastor Ken, today we continue a discussion that we started last week, and that is about how we um, are viewed by many in our culture. You know, we spend a lot of time on our podcast uh, talking about um, things like how we should view the culture and various cultural events. But as Christians, we're called to be witnesses to those around us. And so it's appropriate for us to sometimes ask how we're viewed by the culture so that we can make uh, appropriate adjustments. We can provide explanations to clear up any confusion um, and just address things that might negatively impact our witness. So we saw last week that for the average person today, religiously conservative people like us fall under the umbrella term evangelicalism. They read in the media that evangelicals have certain characteristics, and so they think those things define guys like us and like our church. And the thinking Mm -hmm. is you're a conservative Christian, Mm -hmm. and conservative Christians or evangelicals are far-right politically and things like Mm anti-science and a whole host of other unflattering characteristics. And so that's who you are. You know, we're lumped in with people that we may not agree with because there's just this large umbrella term under which many are categorized. Mm-hmm. So we thought it would be a good idea to take a few episodes and talk about what evangelicalism is and why most Bible-believing conservative people get lumped into that category right. so that we're all uh, you know, considered the same in the minds of many people. Mm-hmm. And if that impression that people have of evangelicals is increasingly negative, mm then we should try to distinguish ourselves uh, so that we're not mistakenly associated with people who we don't, in fact, agree with, uh, whether it's with politics or science or culture in general. So today we want to take uh, a quick review of what we said last week, and uh, we talked about what or how evangelicalism started, and then bring it to the present day and how we should position ourselves to be to be accurately understood mm-hmm. for what we really do believe as people who are trying to reach the culture around us with yep. the gospel. Well, you know, one response that I see somewhat regularly from guys like us mm-hmm. when the culture mislabels our kind uh, is to blame the onlooker for their ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed at how many times I see pastors blog or tweet or preach about being lumped in with evangelicals, because if those folks really knew the history, they'd understand that mm-hmm. we're not all the same. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, we're not all Jerry Falwell. Mm-hmm. But how, how does it help to simply complain about the confusion and blame people who really have no reason to know the history and the finer distinctions that can be made between conservative Christians. All they know is that we claim uh, to believe the Bible, and we claim to try to follow what it says, that one label for such people is evangelical, Mm -hmm. and yet much of what they see from evangelicals in politics, for example, looks inconsistent with what the Bible says. So rather than blame them for not knowing church history, perhaps we could explain some church history, Mm -hmm. like we're doing here, and also be quite concerned about why so many view evangelicals in an unfavorable light. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's because we believe the gospel, and we present and we represent Christ and the Bible, and they hate all of that, well, then that's just the way it's going to have to be, Mm -hmm. because we shouldn't change anything about our commitment to Christ, the gospel, or the Bible. 
But if it's because they see us aligning ourselves with people and positions that on their face seem to contradict what we say we believe, we should evaluate that all very, very carefully. Mm -hmm. Now, I encourage everyone to uh, listen to last week's episode as it lays the uh, groundwork for what we're going to discuss today. And I don't want to bore those who've already heard it by repeating most of that again now. So I'm just going to mention some of the important points from the end of last week's uh, session and then allow us our discussion today to move ahead. Yeah, and, we'll, and I'll put a link uh, probably oh, right above Pastor Ken's head there yeah. to last week's too, just to get, perfect. To get you to it quickly if you dropped in here and didn't see last week's. Perfect, perfect. Now we saw last week that what is called evangelicalism today is an offshoot of fundamentalism that started mm-hmm. about a century ago in response to increasing theological liberalism of the so-called mainline denominations, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, and so on. You had schools, you had seminaries that were denying cardinal doctrines of Christianity, like the inerrancy of the Bible, the virgin birth, the resurrection, the deity of Christ. And so many left those schools and those denominations and those organizations, and they started others. Now, these new entities were for those who believed the fundamentals of the faith. And so the term fundamentalist was coined to describe them. But we saw last week, by the 40s, some fundamentalists were embarrassed by their fellow Bible believers for various reasons that we saw last week. And they broke with them to start now still new schools and institutions to be different and, in their minds, to be better than the fundamentalists. So I recounted some of those last week. 1942, the National Association of Evangelicals is born. Evangelicals are those uh, who, as we saw last week, believe the gospel, but they want to provide a better presentation to the, the culture at that point. One leading figure was a man named Carl Henry. He was the first editor of Christianity Today magazine, by the way, uh, that started in the 50s. And he wrote a book in 1947 called The Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism. And in that book, he critiqued fundamentalists for several things. A few of those were the lack of social concern in the fundamentalist movement, a lack of scholarship and intellectualism. And so as a result of that concern on the part of some fundamentalists who wanted to be perceived, wanted to actually be more scholarly and intellectual and be perceived as such, uh, a seminary was born in 1947. Uh, that's a good distinction, actually, just to, to highlight. It's one thing to just say, well, I want to be thought better of, yeah. you know, for pride's sake. Yes. It's another to say, this is a, this is lacking in us. It's yeah. not good that it's missing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's harming our testimony that people yeah. can see that it's missing. Yeah. And so that was the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because of that idea, then, a seminary in California, Fuller, Theological Seminary started in 1947, and that was in part to uh, a reaction to fundamentalists who they saw as simply not up to par intellectually. Now, we need to remember, and I really want to emphasize this, that we need to remember, uh, the two of us, those listening, and those at at our church, that the desire to present Christ accurately in the culture is good and, and a wise thing. But the desire to be liked and approved by the culture can never be the most important thing. If it becomes that, then you find yourself compromising your beliefs for the sake of that popularity. And that began to happen uh, pretty early on in this new evangelical movement. So I just pause to say, let that sink in. 
that as we have talked about and will talk about in the future, we want to align ourselves, as you said at the beginning, and position ourselves appropriately vis-a-vis the the culture. So we do care what the culture thinks about us, Mm -hmm. but we don't care so much that we're going to compromise. And when you ever get to that point, you're you're in a world of hurt. And that began to happen, and fairly early on. It was not long before this seminary out in California, Fuller, started having faculty who fudged on the inspiration of the Bible. Hmm. as that's not academically fashionable. 1956, the editorial board of an evangelical magazine, Christian Life magazine, wrote an article asking this question, is evangelical theology changing? And it listed several areas that had already started being questioned. 1956, now mind you, this movement really only started a decade earlier, Mm -hmm. and here we are, 1956, Hmm. and that included a, a more friendly attitude towards science, which, again, if properly understood, we're all for that. Yeah. But if it means denying what the Bible says, where it touches on science, well, then we have, we have a problem. A willingness to reexamine beliefs concerning the work of the Holy Spirit, a more tolerant attitude toward varying views on end times, that is eschatology, a shift away from so-called extreme dispensationalism, increased emphasis on scholarship, more emphasis on social responsibility, a reopening of the subject of biblical inspiration, Hmm. and a growing willingness to converse with liberal theologians. Okay. Now, on top of all of that was Billy Graham starting his evangelistic Hmm. crusades in 1949, and as we noted last week, using liberals and Roman Catholics to promote those, even sending those who made professions of faith at the Crusades, sending them back to those liberal and Roman Catholic churches, saying, you should go back to your church, and there you'll be discipled. Well, of course, we know that's not going to happen in those Mm -hmm. kinds of churches, Mm -hmm. right? So that created a real problem for those Bible-believing people, the fundamentalists, not because they had a problem with Graham's gospel message, but rather with his methodology of cooperating with those who denied the Bible or who denied crucial aspects of the gospel, like Roman Catholics deny justification by faith alone. Fundamentalists were willing to separate Mm. from liberals and to separate from those who consorted with liberals, Mm. since failure to separate from error is, in fact, itself error. Mm -hmm. Now, one might immediately fault the fundamentalists for separating over Graham's methodology, but for what it's worth, for me, they did the right thing, biblically. Uh, the Bible warns against cooperating with those who deny clear truth. I mean, here's a, a statement from Third, uh, excuse me, Second John in your Bible, the little letter of Second John. It only has one chapter, so as I cite it, I'm just citing the verses. It's verses 9 through 11. And they say, anyone who does not continue in the teaching of, Christ's, of Christ does not have God. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, now note, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Mm. Yeah, this, this issue of separation that you're hitting on is something that I recall really vividly from, from my youth mm. in fundamentalism. Um, and that's the idea of separation from those who are disobedient, mm-hmm. so sometimes called like secondary separation mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my high school and especially well, the... Let's just, say, let's just say what secondary, you threw that yeah. out there then. Yeah, yeah. But, but the secondary idea is, okay, so you've got the, the liberal 
perhaps, who makes the direct denial of right. the deity of Christ. Right. But then you have this person who believes in the deity of Christ. The Billy Graham. Yes, mm-hmm. but they're, they're willing to link arms with, mm-hmm. welcome, in violation of Second John, yeah. you know, this person who denies these. So they're disobedient. And so that's the secondary part. Right, yeah. which is, in that sense, you can understand why it's called that, but uh-huh. it's kind of, you, you'd also be justified in saying so-called secondary, because really it's about... What this person's doing, That's exactly not right. the other. That's an excellent point. It's really yeah. all primary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, as I go through high school, and then especially going to, a, you know, a solidly proud-to-be fundamentalist college, mm-hmm. um, my experience was filled with discussions of talk about separation um, and uh, how you should practice it, when you should practice it. Mm-hmm. And it did involve, uh, most frequently, it involved things like we're talking about, things that are worthy of, of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it honestly too often also dealt with things that were not primary issues, things like music. I mean, that was a huge issue mm-hmm. of separation music. For sure, for sure. You know, I recall in my Christian high school having evangelists come who regularly would warn against not only the evils of secular rock music, but also so-called contemporary Christian mm-hmm. music. Now, that was justified based on the Bible's teaching to avoid worldliness, and the Bible does say a good bit about that. A lot about killing plants, too, though. <laughs> oh, nice. nice. So you have to look that up. Okay. <laughs> we don't have time to get into that here. but <laughs> if, if it'll have this effect on plants, imagine What's it what doing it's doing brain? to your brain. Yeah. This is your brain on rock music, right? right. That's also a pretty old reference. Oh, dating ourselves. <laughs> but the Bible does teach to avoid worldliness in places like 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of what one has and does. All of these Mm -hmm. come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but he who does the will of the Father will last forever." You know, so you have those very clear warnings about worldliness. So it's important for Christians to know what worldliness is and to make sure we're not participating in it. Now, Mm -hmm. that's a discussion for another day. But its importance for this topic of evangelicalism is that fundamentalists clearly did not care what the culture thought of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if there's one characteristic of fundamentalists, it's, you know, we really don't care much what the the culture thinks, what the world thinks. Those were often... Those were often equated, world and culture, and that in itself is a mistake because there actually is a portion of the culture that's not necessarily the world, mm-hmm. if understood biblically. Mm-hmm. But again, that's a discussion for another day. A good one, yeah. <laughs> if, if fundamentalists thought something was right, they stood for it. Mm-hmm. And if something was wrong, they separated from it. So putting aside whether they were always right in their evaluations of the issues, that willingness to stand for right and remove yourself from wrong, I think we could all agree, is, is good. Mm-hmm. And evangelicals didn't have that impulse, quite, quite the contrary. The new evangelical movement was started precisely to improve relations with the culture. And over time, many, many evangelical ministers and organizations compromised in order to make that happen. It's really a, a case study in the danger of wanting to be approved by the world. And mm-hmm. if you are interested in this at all, uh, and you really want a case study, and a thick, big one, but very scholarly and very uh, very thorough, uh, Dr. Roland McCune, the late Dr. Roland McCune, wrote a book called Promise Unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And it's all about 
the program of new evangelicalism, starting in the 40s, as we've described, and then moving forward, and how that really failed and how it ended up in all of this kind of compromise. So I recommend that to you if you're interested in it. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, not only did evangelicalism fail in its attempt to curry favor with the culture, and then so win the culture to Christ, but fundamentalism, those who didn't go that right route, really balkanized, you know, into mm-hmm. splinters with division after division. And I've lived now long enough that I actually saw many of these kinds of things happened. And then before my time, I've read about those that, that happened. And you can see how this would happen if you're a separatist group. Mm-hmm. And especially then if you're not very careful and you allow the list of issues over which you separate to expand, to include things like, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, music, but then beyond that, Bible translations, yeah. dress standards, hair lengths, yeah. there were all sorts of those lists. Yeah, so you go kind of like the one extreme, separate from nothing, nothing's yeah. important enough, to, and to the other that, there oh, we'll separate the drop exactly. of a hat. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, you've leveled some criticism at both New Evangelicalism, and we, you know, we've <laughs> referred to it as New Evangelicalism. Yeah. There's a little bit of stuff we skipped over even to get from the Evangelical to evangel- New Evangelicalism. Right. Um, but... Criticism for new evangelicalism, some criticism for fundamentalism. So which are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, and I say unashamedly and very, very quickly, I'm a fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to say as long as I get to define what we mean (laughs) by that. And I think that's important because it's a term that has been, unfortunately, very misunderstood. Clearly, the stand on the fundamentals of the faith is right and can never be changed by a true Christian. Uh, So I'm a fundamentalist in that I believe everything the Bible affirms, and I know much of that is not popular. Uh, Creation, Mm -hmm. uh, exclusivity, the exclusivity of Christ. You know, to say in this pluralistic society that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, Mm -hmm. he's the only way to Mm -hmm. heaven, and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you will not go to heaven. I mean, try saying that on Oprah, or yeah. Oprah's not doing her thing anymore, but, you know. Right. I watched somebody do that, somebody we know. Okay, <laughs> actually, and yeah. okay. And, <laughs> on you know, Oprah. And, and so you say that, you're not going to be popular. Yeah. Uh, gender roles, you know. But if I believe the Bible is God's Word, as I do, then I have no option. I can't take a cafeteria-style approach mm-hmm. to the things I want to accept and the things I want to reject. But with the evangelicals, I do see, and I know you've seen, that often fundamentals ha- fundamentalists have been less than cautious in their words and demeanor. The fighting fundamentalist. Yeah, I, was, I thought of that earlier when you were talking about, uh, you know, just willingness to separate over just about anything. Uh-huh. That was a label used as a, as a uh, it was a welcome label mm-hmm. used. It was a badge of honor, yeah. fighting fundamentalist. I'm a fighting yeah. fundamentalist, you know. Yeah. I'll fight at the drop of the hat, and I'll drop the hat. <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never heard somebody say that, but yeah, proud, proud to wear the label. But that's a, an image and a term that many of us have grown up with in mm-hmm. those circles. It's kind of an angry persona mm-hmm. that says we don't care about the culture and we're really at war with the culture. Yeah. Too often meaning, when we say we're at war with the culture, meaning the people of the culture. Yeah, I heard a, a preacher just the other day um, talking about the culture wars mm. And, uh, you know, he's himself a big-time culture. I mean, my first experience of hearing this person was in the context of politics and culture war. Mm. Um, 
But he was dealing with the fact that the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And uh, I thought when he mentioned that, I thought, huh, this will be interesting. (laughs) Uh, But he realized, you know, he realized as he was talking through it, he had a problem. And he wants to denounce the people in the culture. uh, And he he does so regularly, these people in the culture that he disagrees with. So how does he deal with a passage like this? And then so he said something to the effect of eventually those cultural positions take on flesh and bones. (laughs) So apparently we are wrestling with flesh and blood after all. Right. So uh, I was just thinking it's too bad Paul didn't realize that. He could have made that application in the text. There. Yeah, and so here's a guy you know, purporting to yeah. preach the Word. It, I just got to throw in there, uh, I mean, it, it occurred to me that um, the exact opposite is said, right? When yeah. Paul says, talking about immor- separating from immoral people, he says, I didn't, you know, I'm not telling you to separate from people in the world that are immoral. In that case, you would have to leave the world. You have to leave the world. That's what he says. Yeah. Exactly. Paul says that 1 Corinthians 5, I think, Mm -hmm. he's talking about separating. Exactly right. Uh, So here's a guy preaching. He's purportedly preaching the word. But then he comes across something that contradicts what he's doing and what he wants to happen. And so then he says, but, you know, these people are eventually going to become flesh and blood. Well, then Paul kind of wasted his time, it would seem, by saying we wrestle not against... Yeah, and you know, just to, to uh, it stands out to me that he would do that because this is not a person that I would expect to just infuse mm. their own meaning. Yeah, you know, I've I've heard this person speak a lot, and that's not the, normally they're what they normal. do. They're yeah. protecting, so they they think they're protecting something very important. Yeah, that's being threatened, mm-hmm. right? Well, I've heard many messages over the years. I've read many articles that have sought to sort of psychoanalyze the fundamentalists, of especially the 60s and 70s and their demeanor mm. and why it was as caustic as, as it was. Now, that's beyond our scope here. But I think, to be fair, as I've thought about it over the years, part of it has to do with the battling that they had, they had to do, mm-hmm. you know, of necessity with, you know, new evangelicalism. And it's very easy then, when you're in the throes of that, to develop an attitude uh, because you feel besieged, mm-hmm. uh, and you're regularly in, in a battle. I mean, fundamentalists were belittled <laughs> quite a bit, as you might imagine. Who's more popular in the American mind as they think about Bible-believing people than Billy Graham? I mean, nobody is the mm-hmm. answer. I mean, he's the Protestant pope, in effect. Mm-hmm. And if you then are going to say, hey, we believe Billy's message and we, and we really wish Billy would do this differently, but we can't do this. I mean, you, you, I mean they just can't believe that, mm-hmm. right? So you're taking it on the chin. You're regularly in a battle, and you can see how it would be easy to then kind of cop an attitude. Now, that's not an excuse. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a, an observation and a reason. And I see myself in that. I'm certainly not above that. As I try to put mm-hmm. myself in the shoes of those who are doing that, I'm certainly not above that. So as I said last week, we should then take the best of fundamentalism, which is a stand for the fundamentals, but I think also of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, this desire to want to position ourselves appropriately with those we're trying to reach is a good impulse, mm-hmm. but beware of the danger. Take the best of both, implement that then in our lives and ministries. For me, the best of fundamentalism is a Machen-type fundamentalism, Mm -hmm. historic 
fundamentalism. Yeah. You know, we mentioned Machen last week, and so again, listen to that, and you'll you'll learn who he is. But he's, I think, a very good model of someone standing up for truth, but doing so in a very considered way, uh, so that people who disagreed with him vehemently still admired him as a as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's historic fundamentalism, as opposed to what some have called hysteric <laughs> fundamentalism, which you know over the decades that's what you had. You kind of this hysteric kinds. Of, they would be funny if it weren't so sad yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Evangelical evangelicalism, on the other hand, has these I think very helpful representatives too. Perhaps someone today, like a Mark Dever, you know, mm. that we're both familiar mm-hmm. with, the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, just four blocks from the Capitol in D.C., and um, they have a ministry called NineMarks.org, mm. which mm-hmm. I highly recommend. They have very helpful articles uh, on that website. Uh, and then one of his associates, uh, Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan Lehman is one of the most thoughtful guys. Mm, yeah. uh, and Lehman is a theologian, but he's also got a degree, I think a master's degree, in, in political philosophy. Yeah. So he's a guy who understands the Bible, he understands theology, but he also wants to understand how that intersects mm. with, with politics, with the, with the culture. And you see that in his writing. Years ago, I, I should have looked up the exact year, but it was in the 90s, I'm quite certain. So we're going back a few decades. A guy who still writes, a columnist for the New York Times, the, the liberal New York Times, and a, and a Jewish guy named David Brooks. But David Brooks wrote this article that I read in the 90s, I think it was, and I saved it, so I could have looked up the year. But I, I read it because I thought, wow, here's this guy... David Brooks, who's wanting to know who these evangelical people are. And so he, he looked into it a bit. And then over the decades, he's looked into it even more, so much so that he was publicly talking about the possibility of converting. Mm. Now, he hasn't done that. He had some of his friends in journalism, some of his Jewish friends in journalism saying, David, don't do it. Yeah. But he's made a lot of friends over the years because of that inquiry he's made in evangelicalism. Well, this article that he wrote in the 90s was kind of just saying, you know what, a guy like me, a guy like people like many of us out there who aren't in evangelicalism, we, we hear the term, but we don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so let me tell you a little bit about what I've learned. And most of us think of evangelicalism as he used Jerry Falwell as the example. Mm. Now, this would have been Jerry Falwell Sr. at the time. Jerry Falwell Jr. wasn't on the, on the radar, thankfully. And thankfully, he's off the radar. He's been on and off by now with all his escapades. Mm-hmm. But this would have been Jerry Falwell Sr. Uh, and he said, that's what many people in America think of evangelicalism. And he said, but you know, there's people like this guy named John Stott. <laughs> now, the fact that David Brooks found out who John Stott is, is was interesting to me. And for those who don't know, John Stott was a low church Anglican <laughs> in England and an evangelical Anglican. Believe it or not, there are such things. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, remember that name? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Elliot's widow, the missionary who was uh, killed in Ecuador. And she wrote a lot of books. Many of our listeners might be familiar with her, very helpful books. But she, she was the same, same kind of thing. Okay. Uh, but, but Stott, uh, J.I. Packer, uh, likewise, mm, same, okay. same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but Stott, I have a number of his books. They're, they're all very helpful, you know, kind of a scholarly guy, you know, all of that. And 
the contrast between him and Falwell is, is, <laughs> is quite, uh, quite wide and uh, stark. So David Brooks, you know, saw that. And then at the end of his article, he said something like, you know, if you really want to know about evangelicalism, he just simply said, stop, not Falwell. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty gracious thing to, to say. Yeah. So that's, and that's a few decades ago. Yes. You've got yes. a writer like David Brooks, yeah. uh, which still writing, you said. Yes. I, I read an article by him recently and right. showed you, and you're like, hey, that's the guy. That's the guy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's willing to say, hey, not all evangelicals are like Jerry Falwell, politically at war with the culture is what he means yes, there. Yes. Uh, there are these other guys that few know about, like Stott. Right. Um, but in our environment today, it seems like evangelicals are becoming increasingly mm. fundamentalist, if mm. you will, at least in their attitude toward the culture. I think, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think that's right. Uh, I think uh, the new evangelical experiment can move forward as long as you have a somewhat compliant, cooperative culture. Mm. You know, we want to be on better terms with the culture going back to the 40s. Mm -hmm. Well, being on better terms with the culture back in the 40s and the 50s, frankly, was easier than it is now. No. Okay. Uh, I've, got, I've got to throw in there, depending on which aspects you want to be in concert with, you know, the ones that we tend to think about. Yeah, the more the, the so-called big moral yeah. issues and all that. That's right. Well, we're all on I the mean, same I'm, page with I'm that. thinking of some big moral issues that might that guys that look like us might not immediately think of, you know, with race relations and yeah, things yes. like that. Yes, so, yes, yes. Yo, you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Excellent point. Yeah. But that was the way it was perceived. Yes. You know, that yep. we have this good relationship. It's fairly easy to have this good relationship. If you fundamentalists would just try. Yeah. You Christians know. were thought, <laughs> it was easy for a Christian to be thought well of. Right. Yeah, yeah. So America was very conservative morally. Mm -hmm. But now we see the moral fabric looking very, very different. Gay marriage. You know, something that at the advent of the new evangelical movement, nobody would have thought mm -hmm. of. You know, mm -hmm. Confusion of genders, the imposition of that immorality on our children. So many who were kinder and gentler evangelicals, now I think what's happening, honestly, is they're summoning their inner fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they are, in the words of Howard Beale in the old movie in the 70s network, we're, we're mad as heck, and we're not going to take it anymore, okay? <laughs> All right, now i got to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's kind of the edit. We're, okay, we're sick of it. We've had mm -hmm. it. Many are finding that their favorite episode in the life of Jesus is him turning, flipping the tables in, in mm -hmm. the temple. Mm -hmm. And now they want pastors who do that from the pulpit. They want pastors who will go to war with the culture. Where are the pastors who will really stand? Listen, I know of churches. I, I could name for you a, a good church. Concerned about what the pastor of that church has been saying the last couple of years a little bit, but it's been for decades a very good church and a very good pastor. But that church has increased its attendance quite a bit in the last couple of years because the pastor has been willing to go to war with the mm -hmm. culture in a way that is approved. And I know of a church in our area, same kind of thing. The pastor has become more popular because he's the man for this hour. That's what mm. that's what many people he's the man for this hour because this hour is we got to take on we got to take on the culture. So people say I mean think about that episode in in the ministry of Jesus being the one thing that you highlight. Right. 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 When, as we pointed out, that was really about religious leaders. Yeah. It was not going to war with the culture. Right. But that's the way they, they want to use it. And, and where uh, it seems 
like a genuinely now justifiable holy war mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Because in America, evangelicals have confused American culture with Christianity. Yeah. For a very long time, they looked similar, mm-hmm. but now they, they are not. So hear me, hear me very clearly. When Christianity looks like American culture, then when American culture is attacked, then you think it's an attack on Christianity. Mm-hmm. Let me say that again. When Christianity looks like American culture to you, then when American culture is attacked, then you think it's an attack on Christianity. That's why you can have so many people saying Christianity is being persecuted in America. Mm-hmm. We're being, you know, and I look at it and go, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a, a public Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm a vocal Christian. We do a podcast. Yeah. I write a blog. I'm being persecuted? How, so what? It's because I'm not taking enough of a stand? Is that the deal? Mm-hmm. I've got to get in some... I've got to flip some tables, apparently, mm-hmm. you know, in order to... But what that really means is American culture is being attacked, and you confuse that with Christianity, so it's no wonder you think Christianity is being attacked. So therefore, holy war. Mm, yeah. You know, I, I hear that. There were, we did talk about uh, the, the flipping tables... Yeah was really popping up a lot in mm-hmm. conversation, social media a while back. And, you know, I, I thought to myself, it's kind of a matter of perspective. The, the people you're criticizing might actually be the ones flipping the tables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to talk about who's because they're criticizing you, a religious leader, yeah. who are saying some things that may be irresponsible or going farther right. than God's Word right. says. Or, right. Yeah, so uh, I'm really curious too. You said you saved this article earlier. It just yeah. stuck out of my mind, yeah. and I thought, could you could you send that to me? Is that but you didn't save that on your web browser, like on the New York Times website. This is in the '90s. Yeah, <laughs> you clipped that out. This is I. You <laughs> it's know, a piece yeah, of paper. It's a, well, I've got it. You know, a digital copy. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Oh, do you really? I, I, yeah, I'm quite certain I do. You scanned it. I must have. Okay, because I was just thinking about uh, you know. You, Actually, I take that back. I read it way back then, and then many years later, but not many years ago, I looked it up again. Okay. Kind of in their archive. You did find it in their archive. I found it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking as we were watching, the kids watching, yeah. we're probably thinking, how did he look this up on the internet yeah, in the yeah. 90s? No, I think, right. And I re-looked it up to say, you know, they and they and they archive these things. Okay. And so, yeah. So I'm quite sure I have a digital That's version. That's great. I actually would like to Okay. That. So really helpful discussion both of these weeks about... You know our roots. Where where did uh, how did we get to where we're at now? And that helps us. And then, uh, as you were saying in the beginning, not that we expect everyone around us to know all of this, but it helps us to know how we got here. And then to be able to evaluate and say, our, you know, how can we ensure that we're perceived correctly right. and that we our lives we live lives that adorn the gospel yes. rather than Amen. obstruct it. Amen. So, well, we're glad that you joined us for this episode, and I'll remind you like I do each week, if you don't already subscribe to our YouTube channel, click on the notification bell so that uh, you know when our new episodes come out. We try to publish a new episode every Saturday at 2 p.m., and uh, if you found this video helpful, make sure you hit that like button, share it with somebody, and uh, that'll help more people be able to find it. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.